of it belongs to him. And yet somehow, he laid down his life for you and for me. He took our place. Not sure that we grasped totally all of what that means. And I say that because a lot of times we still carry around guilt. We might not call it guilt. We might call it regret. So some of you, though it's been a very long time since you were in junior high, now it's called middle school, you might still remember stuff you said in middle school and still have very deep regrets. I can't believe I piled on like that. I can't believe I said that and cut them like that. You know, it's been a long time. Maybe it's been a long time. Maybe it's been a short time since you were in high school. And you might still have regrets. You might still be carrying around guilt for things you did in high school. You might still be wearing guilt, wearing regret for what happened on spring break years ago. You might have regrets from things you said in your first marriage that helped your first marriage end. You might have regrets from things you said, guilt you still carry around with you for things you said to your kids. You might have guilt and regret from things you said to your parents. Today, today we're going to go free from those guilt from that guilt and those regrets by God's grace. Now, some of us might be here and we're unbelievers in the sense, and what I mean by that is we don't believe that Jesus is the Ancient of Days, that Jesus is the Lord of Lords and King of Kings, that he died on the cross for our sins. We don't, you know, you haven't decided to follow Jesus in that yet. And you might hear what we're talking about today and go, that sounds really weak. I think everyone should pay for their own sins, and I think everyone should pay their own way. And I hear you. I mean, I, I, I hear that sentiment. You might say, well, what you're going to say today from John 18, it's just not the way the world works, so it won't work. And I'd say, you're right, this is not the way the world works. You're right. You're right about that. I mean, this is not the way the world works. The saying goes, if you can't do the time, then don't do the crime. Because that's the way the world works. You might say, I don't even want this to be true. Because I don't like receiving charity. Say, I hear you. But see if you can hear Jesus' voice in this text. Let's pray before we jump in. Jesus, please stand in front of me while I'm in front of them. And talk over me while I talk to them. Do this for your glory's sake and our good. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Here we are in John chapter 18, and we'll begin in verse 
28. Before we do, I want to show you a picture to kind of give you some context for what's going on. This is a picture of the Roman world. The Roman world is there outlined in like the brown maroon line that kind of goes around all the colored areas. Uh, that is Rome at the height of its power. When Jesus walked in uh, the Middle East, it wasn't quite that big, but it was really big. <laughs> Rome had acquired a lot of power. We're going to meet a guy. Of course, Rome is where the maroon arrow is. Jerusalem is where the yellow arrow is. We're going to meet a guy today by the name of Pilate, who is working for the Roman government, trying to keep a lid on the powder keg that is the Middle East in general, and trying to control what's going on in Jerusalem in particular. It is not an easy job. It was volcanic with messianic expectations of we're going to overthrow the Roman government. We're going to overthrow the Roman government, and here is Pilate trying to keep a lid on things. We haven't met Pilate, though, so here we are, jumping into John 18. And they led Jesus from the house of Caiaphas. We've just finished seeing a middle-of-the-night uh, trial where Jesus was interviewed by the high priests and found guilty, and he's being sent over to the Romans. Then they led Jesus from the house of Caiaphas to the governor's headquarters. There is the Greek word underneath governor's headquarters, and it's praetorium. That's what it looks like. That's the ESV footnote. Um, if you have an English standard version of the Bible, you have praetorium there in your footnotes. I'll show you a picture of what we think that is in just a second. It was early morning, and they themselves did not enter the governor's headquarters of the praetorium. Why didn't they enter the governor's headquarters? Because Gentiles are dirty, and we don't want to get dirty during the Passover. They themselves did not enter the, gen the governor's headquarters so that they would not be defiled, but could eat the Passover. Does anyone see any irony in this? They know Jesus is innocent. They're trying to get him murdered by trial, um, false trials. They don't care. They're just going to try to murder him, but they don't want to get defiled with the Gentile dirt so that they can eat Passover. There are some things that religion can't fix, one of which is our hearts. So Pilate went outside to them. All right, let me show you a picture. Because so, this week and next week, we're going to see Pilate going in and out, back and forth, in and out, back and forth. So here's how we think this looked. Okay, this is a picture of Jerusalem in Jesus' day. You'll see the temple um, over on the far, well, it's my right. Is it your right? Yeah, it's your right over on your far right. You'll see the Temple Mount up there. Then you'll see the Pool of Siloam. You know stories in the Gospels about that at the very bottom. Then you'll see on the far left where I have the red, uh, the red box labeling things. I'm going to see if I can zoom in a little closer on that. Um, there, in the green there, there's Herod's uh, palace. So this is not the Herod that was just recently in power. This is the Herod that laid the foundation for the Temple. This is the Herod that was killing babies when Jesus was born. Oh, 
How's that? Okay. All right. So, the Herod that was killing babies when Jesus was born built this palace that you see up there, that the green box, um, and you see the palace. The praetorium is the red box. That would be the outer courtyard. So they go to the governor's headquarters, probably Pilate is staying in the nicest place to stay, which was the house Herod built. And he normally would be up, up in the north in Caesarea, but for Passover, because it was a volcanic uh, time politically because of them expecting to overthrow Rome, like the height of religious fervor of now we're finally going to get rid of the Romans, he would come down to Jerusalem and oversee things. So he would stay in the nicest place to stay, which was Herod's palace, and so the praetorium would be the headquarters where he would hold meetings, outdoor space, so the, so the religious leaders wouldn't feel defiled by Gentile germs, Gentile filth. So you can see the the courtyard here and the palace here. So he says, what accusation do you bring against this man? And they answered him, if this man were not doing evil, we would not have delivered him over to you. Pretty specific, right? Usually charges are more specific than that. He's bad, trust us, just kill him quick. Pilate said to them, take him yourselves and judge him by your own law. And the Jews said to him, it is not lawful for us to put anyone to death. So Pilate says to them, you go ahead and kill him. They say, we can't. Now, this is, this is tough, because if you know the Gospel of John, you know they have tried to stone Jesus twice. They tried to stone him in John chapter 8 and John chapter 10. They pick up stones, they're ready to do it. You know, too, that in John chapter 8, the first part of John chapter 8, they bring to him the woman caught in adultery, and they talk to Jesus like it would be lawful for them to stone her. So what, is it, you know, what are they saying when they say it is not lawful for us to put anyone to death? Probably what's going on is Caiaphas, the high priest, wants to utterly, totally, forever to discredit Jesus by having him crucified. Because he knows Deuteronomy 21-23 says that anyone who is hanged on a tree is cursed by God. So he knows that if he can get Jesus crucified, all the people will see Jesus as cursed by God. And they'll all know that Jesus wasn't the Messiah because you can't have a Messiah get crucified by the bad guys and still be the Messiah. It would be kind of like if George Washington was killed by the British, we'd all know that George Washington was not the guy to lead us to independence. So in the same way, if we can get Jesus killed by the Romans, everyone will know that Jesus is not the Messiah. This is what's going on in Caiaphas's mind, most likely, when he says this. Because they want to have him crucified, not just stoned. So it's public and legal. But this was to fulfill the word that Jesus had spoken. Well, what word? What had Jesus spoken? So, let's, let's start again in verse 31. Pilate said to them, Take him yourselves and judge him by your own law. And the Jews said to him, It is not lawful for us to put anyone to death. This was to fulfill the word Jesus had spoken. What? What does that mean? 
Well, let's read the next sentence. To show by what kind of death he was going to die. So Jesus had, we just get the clue from John, Jesus had already told everyone what kind of death he was going to die. Jesus is going to use Caiaphas' scheming and Pilate's I don't care as long as we keep the lid on the powder keg attitude to die the death he has to die to show what kind of death he was going to die. Let's see this. You know, to, to, to see this, you've got to go back to John chapter 12 where Jesus says, he's referring back to John chapter 12, and I, when I am lifted up from the earth, how will Jesus die? Of course, he'll be crucified. He'll be lifted up from the earth on the cross. I will draw all people to myself. And then it says, this next phrase, which we just read, and he said this to show what kind of death he was going to die. So we know that kind of death Jesus said he was going to die was one where he was lifted up. Now, what did Jesus know about being lifted up? Now, look, this is going to come back to the guilt that we carry. I'm going to come back to that in just a second. Okay, we're getting there. We're just understanding what Jesus understood about his crucifixion right now. Okay, so... Caiaphas has been scheming to get Jesus crucified. John says, this all worked according to Jesus' plan. It was all going according to his plan because this was what he said about how he was going to die, that he would be lifted up in John chapter 12. But to understand what it means for him to be lifted up in John chapter 12, we have to go back one step further to John chapter 3. So in John chapter 3, verse 14 Jesus explains what it will mean for him to be lifted up. And he says this, And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, you remember that story? Some of us do. Some of us might not. But I'll tell it to you in just a second. And Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness. This is Numbers 21.9. So must the Son of Man be lifted up. Jesus said, You want to understand what it means for me to be lifted up on the cross? you got to go back to the snake in the wilderness. Then you'll understand what it means for me to be lifted up on the cross. So, as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. You want to know what it means to have life when I'm lifted up on the cross? Got to go back to the wilderness. So let's go back to the wilderness, all the way back to Numbers chapter 21. The people have been freed from Egypt. They're no longer slaves. They're wandering around the wilderness, and they love it because it's like a happy vacation. That true? No, they are not happy. They're complaining about the food. They're complaining about the lack of water. They don't like all the heat. Their feet hurt. They, they don't like it. And they're complaining about the food. Did I mention they're complaining about the food? They're complaining and complaining and complaining. And they kind of wish they were back in Egypt. And finally God's had enough. And God sends in snakes to correct them. And the snakes start biting them. And they start dying. Hey, listen. What do snakes symbolize in the Bible? Careful. Think about what you're saying. Snakes start biting them and they start dying. Because remember what Jesus said about being lifted up and the serpent in the wilderness. Snakes start biting people and people start dying. And the people start crying and praying and praying and crying. And they say, Moses, 
do something. And Moses cries out to God and says, God, what should I do? And God says, make a bronze snake. Put it on a pole. Stand it up. Anyone who looks at the bronze snake gets to live. And so we read in Numbers 21, verse 9. So Moses made a bronze serpent and set it on a pole. And if a serpent bit anyone, he would look at the bronze serpent and what? Jesus says in John chapter 3, this, verse 14, this is how to understand what it means for me to be lifted up. Like Moses put the brown snake on the pole and set it up, and anyone that looked at it, they got to live. This is how to understand what I'm going to do. So remember where we are. Caiaphas has been scheming to get Jesus crucified because he wants all the people to see him cursed. And of course, he will bear our curse on the cross. Caiaphas doesn't know this, but he's been scheming to get Jesus crucified. John says this happened so that everything Jesus said about how he would die would be fulfilled. To show what kind of death he was going to die. And of course, what did he say about that? He said, when you think about how I'm going to die... I'm going to have to be lifted up. And when I'm lifted up, I will draw all men to me. John chapter 12. Now, to understand what that means, we go back to John chapter 3 and we say, well, he's like the snake in the wilderness. That If you look at him, you get to live. So Pilate entered his headquarters again. And called Jesus and said to him, Are you the king of the Jews? If you like to underline in your Bible, maybe you'd want to wait until you get a purple pen so you can underline all the times that you see king in the next chapter. And I'm including into 19 about this. Are you the king of the Jews? And Jesus answered, Do you say this of your own accord or do the others say it to you about me? interesting when you interrogate Jesus you end up being interrogated and Pilate said am I a Jew you your own nation and the chief priests have delivered you over to me what have you done and Jesus answered my kingdom is not of this world if my kingdom were of this world my servants would have been fighting like Peter tried to do that I might not be delivered over to the Jews But my kingdom is not from the world. It's not sourced in the world. It doesn't mean it doesn't benefit the world, but it's not sourced in the world. It doesn't mean it doesn't change the world, but it's not sourced in the world. Then Pilate said to him, Oh, so you are a king. You're finally making sense. And Jesus answered, You say that I am a king. For this purpose I was born, and for this purpose I have come into the world to bear witness to the truth. Hey, that's important. Jesus just said, This is why I was born. This is why I'm here. To tell the truth. And Jesus says there's a dividing line that runs right down the middle of the world. On one side are people that don't listen to me. 
On the other side are the people that listen to me. Everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. This is what Jesus said about his sheep just a little while ago. My sheep hear my voice and follow me. Everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. And Pilate said to him, what is truth? Just like someone would who's about to go out and violate their conscience. Do, do what they know they shouldn't do. And after he had said this, he went back outside to the Jews and told them, I find no guilt in him. You'll see that two more times. You'll see that in chapter 19, verse 4 and chapter 19, verse 6. I find no guilt in him, but you have a custom that I should release one man for you at the Passover. In other words, I find no guilt in him. I'm probably going to release him, but in order to help you save face, how about we do the custom thing? It's your custom thing. We'll go ahead and do it, and look, I'll win because I don't have to crucify an innocent man, and you'll win because you'll save face because we're not going to crucify this guy and we're going to let him go anyway. But you have a custom that I should release one man for you at the Passover. So who do you want me to release to you? The king of the Jews? How about we release the king of the Jews? How about him? And they cried out again, not this man, but Barabbas. Now Barabbas was a robber. And in the ESV, there's a footnote that says robber. It can also be translated an insurrectionist. Okay, let me explain that to you because this is important. If you're leading a hundred guerrilla fighters in warfare. You don't have a tax base because you're a guerrilla fighter. You're a Judean insurrectionist. The Romans have a tax base. You don't have a tax base. How do you feed your hundred guerrilla fighters? Stealing and robbing. That's what you do. I just want you to just make this connection in your mind. What did they accuse Jesus of? Well, at bottom, insurrection, being a king. What was Barabbas guilty of? Taking part in an insurrection, we find out in the other Gospels, and murder. Here's the point. This is the point to drive home. This is where I'm going today. This is the only thing I'm trying to say today. Barabbas was guilty. Just like you are guilty, just like I am guilty. Jesus was innocent. This is what Pilate said, I find no guilt in this man. But here's the glory in this passage. Jesus took Barabbas' place. Just like he took your place, just like he took my place, Jesus took Barabbas' place. Here's a picture of this. You can see Barabbas there. He gets to go free. You can see his chains. He gets to go free. You could see the Roman soldier in the background horrified because Barabbas was guilty of murder. And the artist that did this picture thinks maybe that was that soldier's friend. Like, are you kidding me? Barabbas gets to go free? That's not fair. That's not how the world works. 
and you can see Jesus dying in Barabbas' place. So here's the thing. Here's the thing. Jesus took our place. So the guilt or the shame that you still wear around but what you said in middle school or did in high school or what happened in spring break or what you said in your first marriage or didn't say in your first marriage or what you said to your kids or what you said to your parents, what you didn't say to your parents, what you didn't say to your kids. Jesus took your place. He died for your sins. And his grace is big enough and strong enough and good enough to cover all of your sins. All of them. Every last one of them. Jesus took your place. So, you can be Barabbas. So that you can go free. And I, and I know that, that that's just hard to reckon with. Because that's not how the world works. And you might be going, Nathan, I don't think you understand. Because the sin that I'm carrying around is really old sin. I've been feeling guilty about this for a long time. Here's what you need to say to yourself. I am Barabbas. Jesus took my place. You might say, this is really, Nathan, you don't understand, this is new sin. I just did this. I haven't even begun to punish myself for this yet. And you need to say to yourself, I am Barabbas. Jesus took my place. You might be saying, this is really raw sin, raw guilt. Like, I, when I think of this, when I replay these things in my mind, when I see that again, I get sick. They're right. The more foul our sin, the more thankful we are that he forgives our sins and cleanses us from all unrighteousness. You need to say to yourself, I am Barabbas. And he took my place. You might say to yourself, I don't know. I mean, I just don't think this will work for me because this is habitual guilt. This is something I come back to again and again and again and again. And I replay in my head every time there's quiet. Every time I'm not thinking about someone else or I'm not talking to something else or I'm not watching something or I'm not doing something on a screen, I come back to this again and again and again. And it's so habitual. And I'd say to you, you need to learn a new habit. Tell yourself, I am Barabbas. He took my place. This might be debilitating guilt, the kind of guilt that just stops you in your tracks and makes it you, so you can't do anything, and you're just helpless. He died 
in your place so that you could be Barabbas. You need to say, I am Barabbas. He took my place. What kind of guilt are you carrying? How long? How long have you been carrying it? Will you keep carrying it? Or will you believe that you can be Barabbas because he took your place? I think you need to say it with me, um, and I'd like you to type it on the live stream. If, if you're watching the live stream, we're going to say, I am Barabbas. And if you're on the live stream and you'd like to type that in, I am, in the comments, I am Barabbas, that'd be fantastic. We're going to say it on three, I am Barabbas. Ready? One, two, three. I am Barabbas. He took my place. This time we're going to do, I am Barabbas, and then we're going to follow it up with, he took my place. Ready? One, two, three. I am Barabbas, and he took my place. So here's what we need to do. We need to do what Jesus said his followers always do. And that's listen to his voice. Listen to his voice. I'm going to trust John chapter 14, verse 26, that the Holy Spirit will bring to remembrance what Jesus has said as we take the Lord's Supper. You know, as we remember that it was him for us, that his body, for our bodies, his blood, for our blood, we remember that he took our place. And I'm going to trust that the Lord will bring to mind what he said. It may be that he brings to mind what he said to the woman who was caught in adultery. Go and sin no more. It may be that he brings to mind what he said to the Jews who believed on his name. And he said to them, you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. It may be that he brings to mind what he said on the cross. And what he said on the cross is, it is Mostly finished. But you got to punish yourself a little bit. No. What he said is, it is finished. And for those of you who aren't sure, and are going, I don't know, this is kind of weak, that we would just let him take our place. I just offer you this. That in our weakness, his strength is made perfect. And for those of you who are going, this is not the way the world really works. I say, yep. And that's why this is awfully good news. And for those of us who are going, I'm not even sure I want this to be true. Because it will take away all my pride. I say, you're right. It's only the poor in spirit that can enter the kingdom of heaven. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, I pray that you would humble us and help us remember that you took our place. 
Help us receive life from you. Life that assures us that you took our place so we can go free. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.